You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. From the author of the book by the same name, it's The Best Saturdays of Our Lives Podcast with Mark McRae. Retro Toy Con, hosted by Toy Federation in Greer, South Carolina, which is adjacent to Greenville, South Carolina, which is where I live. Uh, at least, I don't know, Mark, uh, two-fifths of Thunder Talk lives, three-eighths, something like that. One half of Best Saturdays. <laughs> right. Greenville, South Carolina. It was a couple of weeks ago, week before Thanksgiving, before Black Friday, before the sheer madness of everyone running out to get them deals. Uh, a toy, ToyCon, as the name implies. Uh, Mark, Mark McCray. How you doing, dude? Hey, I'm doing good. And uh, I just want to tell you early on that uh, I hate math. So <laughs> when you start talking about <laughs> three eighths and two fourths, I can't be too helpful. Let's just keep it simple and say that a lot of the Thunder Talk hosts and co-hosts all live near each other. How about that? Yeah, a lot of Thunder Talking going on in Greenville, South Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> Retro ToyCon in their third year mm-hmm. of the convention. Pretty healthy, pretty solid. Mark had a table. I really like the setup this year, which was pretty good. You know, the fact that all of the special guests, we all had banners, you know, promoting our wares, a personal banner. Nice banners. Yeah. And yeah, Ryan Bonavia, Brian Cosain over there at uh, Toy Federation and who run the Retro Toy Con convention. Uh, cheer- cheers to y'all because they, they yeah. really went above and beyond this year. Ryan and Brian really took care of us and made us feel like the special guests that we were. Because <laughs> <laughs> we are. Yeah. They, I'm really <laughs> proud of Retro Toy Con. Yeah. Lending itself to the the greater good of Greenville and the greater Greenville mm-hmm. area. Right. And everyone, out of, if you've never been to a toy convention, I can tell you, people at toy conventions are the coolest, the nicest people you'll ever want to meet on the planet. I mean, everybody is really super chill. And it's very different than going, say, to a comic book convention or maybe a book convention it's just a different... Definitely an NRA convention. <laughs> but the people who are coming to buy toys or trade toys, uh, the mindset and their attitudes are just uplifting and positive. And that's why I love doing toy conventions. Oh, totally. Totally. Uh, what I've been digging about Retro Toy Con is the voice talent that they've been pulling down oh. for these events. Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, like, a lot of the big names showed up and were booked for this convention. And uh, fortunately, uh, Dan and I got to talk to uh, most of the awesome voiceover talent that was at the convention. Yeah, yeah. To name just a few, there was... Dan Gilbazan and Keone Young, two giants uh, yeah. that have been around for decades. One of the things that I think both gentlemen had in common, in, in my opinion, was that they were all about studying and knowing the craft of acting. Yes. And yes. both men had really extensive backgrounds in, in training mm-hmm. and learning how to be the best actors that they can be. It sort of reminded me of some of the interviews we did with the animators at PowerCon. Right. I was thinking the same thing. In the sense that 
Learning as much as you can about your craft sort of became the theme of the overall interviews when we spoke to these great, talented artists. What I really appreciated was the academic level that they both approached voice acting, at the very least, in terms of taking their theater training, their television and film training, and translating that to developing an, an audio character. The the level of, of research and, and personal enrichment that they both advocate was fascinating. It, it really was. You know, read, learn, grow. Let's let's go to our new good friend Keone Young for part one of his interview. One of the wisest men who walks the earth. Yes, I really enjoyed talking to Keone Young. I was very inspired by his story and actually saw some parallels with his story as well as my own personal career, right. professional career. Um, there were some interesting parallels. Right. Anyway, I don't want to give too much away. Why don't we just go to the interview? In his words, Keone Young. We are here with our friend Keone Young. You'll know him from uh, G.I. Joe as Storm Shadow, being this is a toy convention. Uh, gentleman has appeared on uh, Deadwood. Uh, we're talking uh, Batman Beyond, Teen Titans, uh, both as an actor in front of the camera, in front of the microphone. Recently, you uh, played a very important character on Star Wars Rebels. Uh, Mr. Young, it's, a, it's certainly a pleasure to have you on the microphone with us today. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Okay, well, one of the questions um, I wanted to ask you is, did you know that you always wanted to be an actor, and how did you get into the business? Well, you know, I was born in Hawaii, and I worked with... Um, I wanted to be... I wanted, I wanted to find a niche. I, I, I wasn't functioning in school very well. I was not a good student, but I had a passion for, for something. My dad was a musician, but he was a failed musician, so he be became a... But he was great at um, trading instruments, so he opened up his own music store. But I was always around music and art and uh, artists because they love my dad, and they come in the store and they play his instruments. So I know all the, the musicians and singers in Hawaii, so I grew up amongst entertainers. Um, and I really could not function in, in, a, in a socialized way in terms of, like, getting up. You know, I never could understand why they made school so early in the morning. Because <laughs> kids don't want to get up at 8 in the morning. Right. You know, I mean, 7 o'clock to be at school at 8? That's crazy. Yeah. I always thought that was nuts. And uh, so I was looking for something. Uh, I found theater. And I had a mentor in school, and she guided me towards uh, the literature of theater. Uh, you know, reading the play, instead of reading books, plays were easier to read because it was people talking. Right. Right? So you're not reading all that literature, and, you know, it, I should, but I mean, but reading plays were very, were like people having discussions. So I would read plays by Arthur Miller. Tennessee Williams, and that began to interest me in theater. So I fell in love with theater and found my comfort in it. Plus, in theater, they start at night. Yeah, right. You know? right. And all the actors I knew slept late. Right. So I said, hey, this is a life for me. Yeah. <laughs> 
stay up late and sleep late. There you go. So, um, but I was going to be a technician. I was going to do design or lights, costume sets. I love that. I love that aspect of it. But um, I began to watch actors and watch their method, and I think they ain't that good. <laughs> <laughs> Not as good as they thought they were. Right. Okay. Right. And then I realized also actors hated to do small parts. And in the plays, particularly in the modern area, you'd always have a waiter come in and say, can I take your order, sir? But the actors never wanted to play that part. So the directors would look at me as I was like, you know, in the, in the booth or like in the backstage moving sets and building sets and they go, Hey, uh, Keone, we need, we need a guy to come in here and just serve the coffee, you know? Can you do that for us? Okay. <laughs> so, and then I did all the plays, you know. I did, I did the busboy, I did the uh, bellman, and uh, I'd come in with two lines and say, Your dinner is served, sir. <laughs> and so, um, and actors never like, no actor never wanted to do those little parts. Right, you know, right. because they didn't know, not me. You know, right, they wanted to be the star. Well, I was happy doing the, and then I try and develop a little character with the, you know, like I play, I be my uncle John as the waiter. Right, you know, I play my uncle. Hey, uh, can I help you? Right, <laughs> so I develop these different voices and attitudes. You know oh, what I mean? Cool. Yeah, but what happened was in a season. Musicals were the big money makers. Right. The dramas and the comedies, uh, if you break even on them, it's fine. But the big money makers were the musicals. Right. And there again, you know, they'd like need people to fill in the chorus. Right. You know? So they'd come to me and go, um, can you sing? I go, I don't know. <laughs> they say, well, we need a low voice here. We need a bass. Right. How low can you go? I go, I could go pretty low. They say, okay. So I start doing all these chorus boy parts and plays right and uh this was in hawaii now i was like 15 sure. years old now okay so i'm singing in the chorus and i was like thrown into these plays like my fair lady and how sure. to succeed and so i'm singing how i'm getting married in the morning <laughs> i'm playing cockney you know so yeah, i'm right. developing all these characters and voices and the thing too is uh, a surprise one thing that happened to me was another 15 year old who took me by the hand and helped me and made me feel confident was it was this young girl and she was uh, 15 years old and she was in the chorus too and that happened to be Bette Midler whoa wow. no kidding yeah right. she was born in Hawaii I she remember born that Hawaii. so Bette Midler was a, she was we were friends we were good friends right and I played the guitar and during the afterward after rehearsal at night we'd sit in the dressing room and I played the guitar and she'd sing along you know we'd sing Peter Paul and Mary right you know right Puff the Magic Dragon and I'd be singing and now I think about it it's like I played with Bette Midler I, right. and she sang so anyway I decided well maybe acting was for me Right. so I came to LA she went to New York I, I stayed in LA because right. I can't stand the cold uh, hey, I and I was that. in Hawaii and when we came to LA it was 55 and I was like 55? I'm going to die. <laughs> she went to New York. She was tougher than me. So um, I came to L.A. And I couldn't find work. It was hard for me. You know, I studied. 
I went to the Pasadena Playhouse, which was a college of theater arts. Right. Uh, Dustin Hoffman went there, by the way. <laughs> a whole bunch of other people. And so uh, I was in theater, poor theater, and what we call a 99-seater, because there was only 99 seats you could have. Right. Um, and I did theater, a lot of plays, and I, I studied, and I took ballet, and I danced, and movement, martial arts, opera, studied everything. Did you know to go to the Pasadena Playhouse before you left Hawaii? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I heard about it, because it was a college of theater arts. Right. So my mom said, they ain't taking you into any other college. <laughs> but this one, they will. Because it's just a bunch of performers. Right. It was wonderful. Um, Sally Struthers was there. I don't know if you know yeah. Sally oh, yeah. from All in the Family. Yeah. So I couldn't get any work. It was tough because if you're a person of color in that time, there was nothing for you. Right. There was nothing zero for you unless you were to, unless they had a scene in a Chinese restaurant, you know. Right. Unless you were a waiter or a servant or something like that. So, um, but what happened then was there was this craze of Bruce Lee came out with Enter the Dragon, right? If you recall. Oh yeah. So everybody got kung fu crazy. Right. You know they would come. It started a trend. Right. And you remember that song, Kung Fu Fighting? Oh yeah. Everybody was yeah. Kung Fu Fighting. Right. Right. Fast as light. Right. Right. And um, so people were dying to see more kung fu movies. They were making them in Hong Kong. Right. But it was all in Chinese. Right. So they had to redub it into English. I don't know if you know, but in Hong Kong, it was a, a territory of the United Kingdom. Right. Yep. And so all, the English, so all the English-speaking guys were from England. Right. And so when they dubbed the Kung, Kung Fu movies and they brought them to America, all the guys were talking like, hey, all right, mate, we'll meet you down at uh, Chang Wing's restaurant, eh? And the Americans were going like, what the hell? Chinamans with English accents? Oh, no. So they said, we need to redub this with some real Chinese-English-speaking people. Right. And that was me. So I did them like, and it was going out like McDonald's Burger, McDonald's Burgers. Right. It was like, you know... Assembly line. An assembly line. And you know, it was non-union, and I could work because they wouldn't let me in the union then, right. you know? So it was like, I'd be voicing, uh, you know, I'd be voicing them with my, and i make a Chinese accent because, uh, you know, my family from, my family was Chinese, and I, 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 I could copy my father and my uncles and my aunties, you know, hey. And so uh, I would dub all these movies that came in. I'd save them time and money because I got, pretty efficient with it right so I started dubbing a lot of movies you know wow then G.I. Joe comes along and they go you know we want some authenticity here because Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement in the 60s demanded diversity and recognition right. so uh, we better hire some people <laughs> that's going right. to represent yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, I, so G.I. Joe came along. They said, we got Storm Shadow. And, uh, oh, I said, ninjas. I grew up on ninjas. I grew right. up, you know, your, your cowboys and Indians was my ninjas. Right. My right. samurais and ninjas. Yeah. So we'd be, I mean, we go out and play. We don't play cowboys and Indians in Hawaii. 
we play samurai. You oh, know? because so much of your programming came from Japan. Right. In Hawaii. Right? A lot of people don't right. know that. Then in Hawaii, you're, you're, after school, you'd be watching uh, Gotcha Man as opposed to, right. you okay. know... Common Rider or whatever. Exactly. But But anyway, right. this was before that, so we watched a lot of samurai movies. Right. So when they wanted to cast Storm Shadow, they needed someone who could sound like a you know samurai warrior. Right. So they hired me. Nice. And um, my, my career is really varied. I mean, I can talk about every aspect. Oh, sure. I don't know, you know. So it's like I try to improve all the time. I studied languages. I went to Berlitz. I studied Japanese, Chinese, Korean. You know, I studied also, I went to school to study the writing, the Chinese characters, so I could understand and take the full grasp of the culture. Right. I traveled to those countries. So I studied always because my, my mentor was a man named Mako. Mako was one of the first Asian Americans who was nominated for an Academy Award. It was Sand Pebbles that Robert Weiss has directed with Steve McQueen. He was nominated for Academy Award. Then on Broadway, he did Pacific Overtures for Stephen Sondheim. And he got nominated for a Tony for that. So he was my mentor. And he said, you know what? You ain't that good. <laughs> wow. he, said, he said, You want to survive? You got to study. I said, What do you mean? He said, You got to not just study, like, you know, how to be an actor to do dubbing and films. You got to study kabuki. You got to study no. You got to study peking opera. You got to study uh, opera. Right. You got to study all the sciences. I went to take ballet classes. I used to wear friggin' tights. Sure. Ballet tights and running up on Broadway and, and, oh, and 67th. Taking class, he sent me to New York. He said, "Go to New York and study." I studied. I went to singing classes. I went to tap dance classes. Everything, and I always study to today. I take classes today. No kidding. What What are we learning today? Today, this is unique. I study Okinawan arts. Okay. Okay, because Okinawa is the southern part of Japan. Yeah. And you know, from the southern part of America, the blues—that's where the blues came. Right. You know. Right. Where Robert Johnson came, Booker White, you know. So I studied the culture from the southern part of Japan, which is totally different from the rest of Japan. So today, I study their language and their music. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. I just, as a matter of fact, I just got my, uh, uh, I passed for a license. I had to go up and sing in front of these guys from Japan. Sure. It was on Zoom, but I had to perform and sing and play the instrument right. in classical music. Right. So, at least as an actor, I could say I'm the only United States American actor who can speak Okinawan. That's incredible. Dialect. I, and, and then from Hawaii, I learned Hawaiian, I speak the local patois, so I'm authentic. So, the more things you learn, I was taught, is... Is uh, will be beneficial to you as a performer. Right. You don't fake it. You come. You can be close to the real as possible. Right. There's a real and there's a fake, and that's what we got to know in right. terms of being a performer. What is real? What is fake? Right. You know, because we don't want that fake. And that 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 Charlie Chan stuff was fake. Absolutely. You know, it's we, fake. We've talked about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. fake and uh, was not being played by any Asian actors at right. all. Right. And, you know, the number one son, I think, was being played by K. Luke. K. Luke, yes. And, yeah, K. Luke. But why, 
it was just wrong. Yeah, but it exists till today. Yeah, yeah. It exists till today, and you see in movies where a, a, a non-Asian, but this happens to people of color, no matter what. It, it happens to all people of color, you know. And so we got to challenge that by becoming show them what is real. So that's why I keep studying today, uh, real versus the fake, and that's that's what's very important to us. Unfortunately. The mainstream culture can follow the fake. It's easy. I drive through, uh, like, my city, L.A., and there's a long line of McDonald's. And I think, don't these people understand and know that they're eating shit? Right, right. <laughs> they're eating something that's not good for them? It's not even food. No. It's not even food. No, it's like eating cardboard. Yeah, right. But, <laughs> yep. So it's like I'm thinking, you know, if they knew what real was, if they knew what real food good food tastes like they wouldn't settle for that right but people somehow their energies get channeled and it's easier to accept the fake than the real right because the real takes some time energy and work Absolutely. you know and I think that people today don't have the energy and strength of finding what the real is like if you if you go back people you know people really work to make something good. It takes time. It takes time, you know? Like like my grandma would like let something sit on a stove for three, four hours and cook something. Right. You know, and it would take time, but it was so good. So in terms of acting, that's how I see it, you know. That's how I see it. All these characters that I've done, and it's over 300, I would say, I think I can give an authenticity and bring you to an idea of the drama in a different way of thinking. Right. A unique way of thinking. Right. And I think people generally appreciate that. Absolutely. The authentic over the over McDonald's. Right. That's why I went like when I was a kid I used to fall in love with like when I first heard Miriam Makiba. Okay. I was like, wow, that just opened my eyes. Right. You know? Right. It's like when I first listened to Robert Johnson, I said, oh, my God, there's some passion, some beauty Honestly. in that. And it's from life experience. Right. And right. so I tried to get the life experience and develop into a creative form and share that. Do you like podcasts? Then you're going to hate Thunder Talk. Tasteless subject matter. Mature humor. Contempt for our co-hosts. Unapologetic social views. Edgy music. And total irreverence for the nerd junk we love. Are all reasons why no one. No one. No one should listen to Thunder Talk. Find us on the ESO Network. And all podcasting platforms. Or don't. Whatever. Well, imagine my surprise when I found out that the actor, Dan Gilvezan, was going to be at Retro Toy Con. I mean, this is Peter Parker. This is Peter <laughs> Parker and his amazing friends. The number one Spider-Man series from the 1980s. It's just an awesome, groundbreaking series. And to meet the man that brought Peter Parker and Spider-Man alive was just amazing. Uh, excuse the pun. The amazing <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> Yeah, we got jokes, people. We got jokes. Yeah, I was I was starstruck when I saw him on the bill. Meeting him was like meeting Peter Parker when he's Spider Man. 
Yeah, he's very, very, very funny and um, very insightful. He has a great sense of humor also. And uh, I, I love the way that he checked Dan and I out just to make sure that, you know, we were le- legitimate. And like we weren't trying to get a free piece. Of- we're trying to get a free taste. Right. You know, right. trying to trying to right. bilk him the fruits of his labor in terms of connections and advice and, and all the stuff that, uh, well, you know, Mark, you get that all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who do you I, know? I do. What can you do for right. me? Right, right. But even during the interview, he kept joking around with us about, oh, I'm talking to you guys, you know. He's he's <laughs> he's Peter Parker. Funny things like he's that. He's Peter Parker yeah. Spider-Man. He's a baller. He gets into the right. interview. He says, exactly. you know, Peter Parker is kind of an awkward dude, but Spider-Man is just full of giggles and laughs. Yeah. And he gets into the methodology right. behind that and some of the other iconic works that he's done. Bumblebee, Transformers, hello. Yep, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, this this, this guy is A-plus in my book. Dan Gilbazan. Love this guy. All right, we are here again at Retro Toy Con, the Upstate's premier retro toy convention, and we are so pleased to have Dan Gilbazan, the voice of Peter Parker on Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, Bumblebee, among a million, a trillion other acclaimed acting credits here with his book bumblebee and me dan it is a pleasure to be speaking with you thank you i wish i could say the same oh hey we are, that's what everyone who meets me says i'm but, sure they do i'm used Listen, to it. and just let me let your audience know there is an audience out there isn't there absolutely i just want to let them know that i don't do these things people contact me many times but these clowns have actually shown up and cornered me so here it is <laughs> yeah, literally enjoy this folks because it don't happen often all right so one of the first questions i wanted to know did you always want to be an actor and what was your inspiration yes i have i have been a ham all my life um i think i came out uh, i was a breech birth you know what that means you come out i i thought i had thought you come out feet first you actually come out ass first right oh. right and my wife explained that to me because i used to say i slipped out of my mother and went hello st louis and she said <laughs> you came out ass first and it's still showing you know so yeah so from a very young age i was you know make puppet shows and you know ghost you know ghost houses in the, around halloween and and then in high school i did shows and in high school was when I, I realized that I really, really liked to do this. Uh, I did a production of the uh, the music band, the musical, okay. and I was Harold Hill, and I just had such a great time doing it. And not only the fact that you you get the attention. I wasn't much of a sports guy, so um, it was hard. You know, you, you can't get girls unless you're in like a niche, one of these niches. Right. So I became the, the like actor guy, and that was just as good. You know? Right. So that worked out for me. So that's. Uh, uh, but what I found out was I enjoyed the creative part where you put the thing together more than the actually more than the actual doing actual doing is fun la da 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 after a period of time it gets old I did two, I, the longest tour I ever did was nine months and after a couple of months of doing the same show every night it's like it becomes like factory work almost like right. you're on the line you just hit this ba 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 so the creative process was really what appealed to me so much that was a long answer but you know I haven't done one of these in a long time so you're going to get a lot of uh, you know a lot of answers out of me a lot of pent-up answers. A lot of pent-up answers. Yes, they're all pent-up. You know, this is probably good for me. 
Oh, hey, I mean, if you're looking to pay a copay. Yeah, I should have know. to. I should have to probably peel off a few bills to you, gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, we'll get with your insurance company after this. <laughs> well, I, uh, we all know that playing Peter Parker and Spider-Man was definitely an iconic role, and which really blew up. I mean, that series is a lot of people's favorite Saturday morning version of Spider-Man slash Peter Parker. Uh, but do you personally have a role that you consider your favorite? Well, that would that would have to. Yeah. There, well, well, there you don't are, have a well, there. No, I, well, I do uh, mm-hmm. because they're the two that I'm most known for. One is Spider-Man from Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends on NBC's on Saturday mornings in the early '80s, and then there's um, Bumblebee from the Transformers, the G1 series, the, the animated series. So those are those are the two main things that I'm known for. I did a lot of other stuff too, and sometimes people go, "Hey, Dino Riders," you and I'm like, "Yep, you know, where you been?" You know, but so so I I like to and I was. I was a big Spider-Man fan before I before I got the job. So when I got it, I was like, "Wow, this is great! I get to to voice uh, one of my favorite characters of all time, you know, a comic book character." So it was great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that show was was Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends were really great. And I don't know if you're aware, but NBC was having a lot of uh, ratings challenges. And I always felt like Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends was one of those series that really lifted up NBC's. Uh, programming sales and uh, just help create what they call in the you know in the business a halo effect where people show up for Spider-Man but they show up for everything else on a schedule. Yeah, it happens to me all the time. People show up to me on the streets when I'm walking down the sidewalk sometimes, and everyone crowds around. It's really kind of uh, it's sweet, but it's a little off-putting, I think. <laughs> yeah, I find it pretty cool that uh, as a bit of a wisecracker yourself, yeah. your two uh, favorite characters, Bumblebee and Peter Parker. A bit of wisecrackers. Pretty much, yeah. You, you know, it, it, that's that's a, a, a big part of that character. You know, the, the to me, the key of, uh, with Spider-Man is um, when he's Peter Parker. He's unsure of himself. He's he's uh, you know he's anxious all the time. He's you know he's a nerd. He's a science nerd. He can't get in with a good group. You know. And uh, but then when he puts on that mask, that costume, he's free to do all the things that he might have wanted to do. He might have wanted to said, to, you know, might have wanted to say to Flash Thompson or whoever was torturing him at the moment. You know, he can do it. So all those quips and stuff, he, they're said with such gusto and joy. And I think that's part of what helped me get the part of the thing. You know, because I think that I understood that part of the character. Right. Definitely. That's cool. I was a programmer at Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, Boomerang. And one of the things I learned that I think the public doesn't understand is when sometimes if a show isn't doing that great, you know, you have a tendency, sometimes programmings have a tendency to bury the show, like at 6 in the morning or, or you know, because like people ask me, well, why did you guys move this to this and move that to that? And I'm like, well, ratings, it's a business and all that kind of stuff. So is there any inside thing or, or uh, process? Well, as far as voice acting goes? Yeah. Um, the most important thing to me was is is just to go with your gut. I mean, if you, I have a lot of training, you know, and I and I would advise that to anyone, you know, considering going into this this business or any other business for that matter. If you're going to go into manufacturing, you should know the history of manufacturing or whatever. Um, so I went to a fine arts college to, to learn about how to be an actor and learn about theater and learn about show business in the past and, and what was coming. So that helped me, you know, immensely later on when I was going for these roles and stuff because you've got to have, you know, you've got to have the, the goods when the, when the time comes, if right. the time comes. Right. A lot of it's luck. 
Yeah, you know? That's cool. Yeah. Uh, what is your next project? What are you working on next? Well, right now, uh, I, I do stuff for people that I've worked for before. A couple of weeks, I have to work for a producer that I worked for before. I not have to, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to. I'm not pursuing it so much anymore. I'm doing, I'm doing conventions, which is where we are right now. And that's great fun for me because I get to meet the fans and, and um, uh, you know, talk to them. It's really funny. Um, Frank Welker, who I, I'm sure your listeners are, are aware of, is, is one of the finest voice actors ever to come down the pike and also one of the nicest human beings. Um, he, um, he was such a pleasure to work with. I learned so much from standing next to Frank, you know, just uh, see how he used the mic, how, how he did this, what part, what part of his, his, his throat was this coming from when he was doing this effect. I learned so much from these guys. So it was a real, you know, it was a real education too, you know. Yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, because I, I think that people who, who do, who, who want to get into voice acting, I think that they think it's easy and it's not necessarily easy. No, it's not. No, there's nothing about this that's easy. And, and, and plus, plenty of it's heartbreaking. I mean, plenty of, it, it'll, it can, I've seen people's souls crushed by this stuff, you know. Um, I've been whipped, I've been whipped around my, my own fair share. And what you have to do is build up, if you can, uh, some sort of callus around your emotions. Because if you take this all personally, you're you're going down for the count. You know, you you need to keep a sort of perspective on this on this entire business. I think, but yeah, it's hard now. It's harder than it ever was. It's weirdly harder and it's weirdly easier because of the computer. Now, every, now if you're in Zimbabwe and you wanna and you wanna audition for this role in a video game, you could do it. Right. In the past, before this sort of thing was available in in L.A., there was a few hundred of us that did everything. Right. Radio commercials. Uh, you know, TV commercials, voiceovers, animation, all that stuff. That was, you know, it was it was the the province. And if you were lucky to get into that group, it was like, thank you, God, whoever you are. You know? yeah. So, yeah. And, and to kind of uh, touch on a few points that uh, both of you made, you know, again, everyone thinks it's easy to be a voice actor because, oh, well, I have a voice. I should be paid for it. And you yourself, uh, Mr. Gelbison, came from a, a stage background, you know, a, a, a trained uh, actor. Most of us have. Right. Giving you the necessary insight into the script. Just because they're not showing your face, just because you won't be emoting with your body, doesn't mean you are not fully playing a character, a character that will require a trained actor. Yeah, it, it helps. I've, I've worked with um, a lot of uh, fine actors who don't understand the voiceover sure. uh, world. And you're your viewers can't see this, but right now, uh, Dan is pointing a microphone right at my face, which is what should happen, or ideally, when you're recording something. I have seen trained actors, on-camera actors, who had never done voiceover before, they would turn over to the side like this to talk to their partner. Right. Can't do that. I mean, it's just simple stuff like that, right. you know, that's, that you need to know. It, it, you know, it, it goes from everything from really simple to really complex, you know, to the rules of this particular niche of voice acting. You know, but the tra- the acting training, yes, um, I'm convinced that I would never have gone as far as, as I was able to without that. I'm sure that's why I got those early roles. Um, so anybody who is interested in that, just just get as much good training as you can, and then do it. You know, if you if you have a if there's a community theater or a college theater or whatever, just do it. Keep doing it. Just keep doing it. The winner of the Ghostbusters is Damn! I wished it was me. 
Please. I bought 400 raffle tickets. I still didn't win it. Doggone it. So how long are you guys going to go on tour? No, no, we're done. We're done. You ain't done. I can see it on your face. Okay, so where can people find you? Do you have any social media handles? Facebook? Yeah, yeah, I'm on Facebook. That's the only thing I do. I know I should be doing Instagram and all that other stuff. It's just... And I have a website, www.dangilvazan.com. Um, I have books on Amazon. Uh, I have books that I've narrated uh, on uh, Audible. So, yeah, and, and if you if you want to friend me on Facebook, I'm on Facebook. I'll friend you. I don't know who the hell you are, but I'll friend you. And as long as you're civil and nice, you know, I'll, I'll, you can stay on my feed. If you, if you start causing trouble, you'll go bye-bye, you know. But, so that's the nice thing about social media. You can decide who you who you associate with, right? Who's a friend and who ain't at exactly. any moment in time. Yeah, exactly. Well, unfortunately, what, okay, here's a little philosophy at the end of the show here. That's part of what's caused this bubble of right and left over here, is you could sit in your bubble if you're a right winger, and you can sit in your bubble if you're a left winger. You can con- you can, uh, you can watch MSNBC if you're a, a, a blue stater. If you're a red stater, you can watch Fox. You know, so... And, and if on Facebook, if somebody disagrees with your politics, you can ace them out. So you only have your own people. Right. And your you own echo chamber. Have, yeah, exactly. Now, I tolerate a wide range as long as it's not personal. As long as somebody's not calling somebody, you know, a, a vulgar name or something. You know, if I'm fine, a little political discussion is fine. So, uh, anyway, I just wanted... It, it's something that's been on my mind lately, and I'm sure it's on a lot of people's minds. That, that this nation is so divided. There's no need for it. We're all one people. It's called the United States of Thank America. You. We're all in this together. No, I don't agree with this that you said, and you don't agree with what I said just now. Fine. I still like you. Can I borrow your your lawnmower? You know? <laughs> That's all. That's all. There needs to be more borrowing of lawnmowers, and I think it would be a better world. I leave you with that thought, gentlemen. Dan Gilvezan, everybody. Pick up the book, Bumblebee and Me. Find it on Amazon.com, I'm assuming, and everywhere else fine books are sold. Thank you. Yes, thank you. And it's been a pleasure, you guys. Nice nice to meet you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. So, Brittany, Martha, (laughs) tell me about your podcast. Oh, no. It's like we're in sync, but also kind of a disaster. We are always a disaster. So our podcast is fun if you want to hear two people talk about and complain about stuff that <laughs> they love and also hate. And drink. And drink. And the show is Same. called? Oh. <laughs> but, but first, let's, let's talk, talk nerdy. And you can find us on the ESO Network. Bye-bye. See you next Tuesday. <laughs> the generosity of time and spirit that Keone Young gave to us at Retro Toy Con is immeasurable. This is the second portion where we begin to get into actors, persons of color, the struggles that they continue to have, but certainly back in the day. I think that uh, Keone Young's story is very inspiring, you know, and I probably said that <laughs> during part one of the interview, but I feel like he's a strong guy. He made things happen for himself. He wasn't easily discouraged. And I feel like everyone should hear his story because it is a wonderful story of someone who really made a way for himself in terms of uh, a great career. Yeah. He really lays out the blueprint for a creative career, whether it be acting or television or music, you know, all of those elements 
sort of fall into the same category. You got to be strong and you can't give up and you have to have a plan and you have to be willing to shift gears. Oh man, the church, the church of Keone Young. I'm, uh, I'm waiting for it. Yeah. I think everyone should visit that church for sure. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, part two of our time with Keone Young. You played the young emperor on uh, Samurai Jack. That was that was one of your roles. I think I played a couple different ones. Different ones a monk. Yeah. I played a monk. I played. I think I played Samurai Jack's father, uh, or something like that. Maybe the father. Yeah. I was just one of the voices right. on that. Maybe the guest voices. Yeah, one of the guest voices. But my mentor Mako played Aku. Right. Yeah. right. He was my teacher. Yeah. So working with him was a delight. Oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned Mako. I'm like, wait a minute. I know that name. Oh yeah. Yeah. He was he was Uncle Iroh in in terms of uh, Avatar. Yeah. 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 He was a very successful actor, but I was with an agent once, and and he said to me. Um, you know, we love you. Of course, they had to say that. But Mako has this really unique voice. We'd love to handle him. So, and they said, we know that you're a friend of his. Could you go and talk to him? So I went to talk to him, and he goes, uh, I said, Mako, do you want to do cartoons? <laughs> he goes, why? What's that? <laughs> I said, Maku, you can make some good money. He goes, you can? Damn. Okay. We'll try it. But don't fuck me around. <laughs> that was Maku, you know. Right. And so I brought him to the, I brought him to the business, uh, the agent, and uh, they loved him. And so they hired him as uh, Uncle Iroh in Avatar. So I brought him kind of into the business, voice business, you know. And then he did Aku on Samurai Jack. But, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, what advice would you give up-and-coming voiceover actors or just actors in general? Like, what should they be doing? Now, you told us that you studied extensively. But, you know, in in the new world, in the, the, yeah. the kids that are coming up, they want everything quick and fast, instant fame. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give those people that are wanting to break into the business? You have to understand human relationship because you're talking because, you know, people don't care about what you are doing. They don't care if you're crying and suffering. They care about them crying and suffering. When they see you, they want to identify with that and saying how it is affect my life. They don't care about it. Actors have a tendency to think, well, I'm emoting. I'm good. I'm or I'm angry. I can be. No, nobody cares about that. People care about what they feel about that. So you have to reach inside other people and make them identify with you. So in that, you have to understand human nature. So that's a lifelong lesson. You can do all kinds of crazy voices, anything. It's like a guitarist. They say, you can play fast, you can play technically good, but unless you have a soul, uh, give me the soul first before you get the the technical accomplishment. But you need both. You need craft. You need craft. I don't know how to tell you how important that is. uh, Yes, you need craft. You need skill. But a lot of kids come up to me, you know, I can do a lot of voices. So what? So can anybody else. So what? Anybody else can do it. And a lot of people can learn how to do it. But you got to learn how to be you. 
through that character. Because remember one thing. There's a lot of guys that can do Donald Duck. But nobody can do you better than you. You know? So, if you can portray you first, and the depth of your humanity, that's going to be unique. Because people can always identify with that. You know, we, we it's wonderful. You know, you can hit a high C. You can, you know, do a... A, a turn in a ballet, you can you know do a tourjete, you can you know leap. So what? Any a lot of people can do that. Shit. But you, if you can bring your humanity into it, and people say, oh man, that's that's deep, that's deep. Yeah. You know. And that comes with life experience. That comes with life experience. That's why the great uh, blues singers. They had the blues. They could sing the blues. <laughs> right. They were singing about what they knew and what they just went right, through. Right, right, And I followed all of them. You know, I followed Sleepy John Estes, Robert Wilkins, Robert Johnson. You know, and I, uh, I learned from that music, which is American music, because I'm an American. I learned from that music. I learned that life experiences also comes hand in hand with craft. And you have to find a way to meld the two. And if you don't do that, you're not going to have longevity. And for advice to any, any, anybody who's interested, you must have tenacity. Because there'll be years when nobody gets what you're doing. There'll be years, but if, you, if you're honest to yourself and, and, and believe in yourself, never quit. And, and that's me. Right, right. You know? That's great advice. Because they always told me, you're not that good. <laughs> you don't want to be in the business. It's right. too tough for you. Yeah, yeah. You can't handle it. You can't handle the truth, (laughs) you know? And then at some point you got to say, well, yeah, I can handle the damn truth. Bring it on and be ready for it. I don't know if that makes sense. Sure. Oh, it does. It does. That's some of the best sense anyone's ever made to me in my life. (laughs) Hey, the the great Keone Young, everybody. (laughs) Dropping dropping wise words. What, what What are your current projects, your next projects? Well, I'm coming out with, um, I don't know if you know Usagi Yojimbo. I don't know if you know comics. I, mean, he, I absolutely know Usagi Yojimbo, yes. He's well, the comic, the before Ninja Turtles. Okay, so, which I did the, I played the villain on uh, the, the Ninja Turtles sure. meets Usagi Yojimbo. I played the villain. Yes. But so now there's uh, an elevation of Usagi Yojimbo. It's a new series for at Netflix. It's called The Samurai Rabbit. Yeah. And uh, I am part of that product. product. Oh, well, everybody, go hit your Netflix. Usagi Jim was my favorite character when, when the te- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle figure came out. I was just getting out of toys. That was the last toy I bought. Yeah. was Usagi Ojimbo. Well, I'm, I'm not supposed to talk too much about it, but I'll we don't have tell to. you that I'm part of it. Okay, cool. Um, I'm also part of the new Gremlins coming out, which is a prequel to the movie. Ooh. I'm talking about animation there. Sure. So I, I did some work on that. Okay. Uh, and I did some work on... Um, uh, uh, just a lot of things I'm not supposed to talk about. Hey, well, then we don't have to. Yeah. Right now, I'm doing a lot of uh, dubbing of films from Asia into English. Okay. So, like, I don't know if you know the Squid Game. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I dubbed, uh, I did the English dub on that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, I've been doing stuff. a lot of stuff from Korea, Japan, and China. There's this whole new industry now because, you know, all the streamers are streaming all these products from Asia. Right. 
and and with like the Squid Game is so popular, so like now there's a big call of that. Right. So I've been working on a lot of fe- feature films and stuff from Asia, dubbing into English. Right. Um, I'm also in the Star Wars Visions. I don't know if you know that one. Very familiar with it. Yes. Yeah, the anime from Japan that yeah, George right. Lucas uh, ordered for Star Wars. Right. Um, I worked on that. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yes. Uh, me and, and the one I'm in, I'm with George Takei. Uh, we uh, we worked together on one of the films. I, we did the English dub on it. Oh, so cool. <laughs> yeah. So cool. There's a lot of stuff that I've been doing. And right. a lot of stuff I'm I'm not... Not supposed to talk about. Uh, stay, stay tuned, everybody. Yeah, they warned me not to talk about it. Yeah, well, that's, how <laughs> they, that's, that's what it's all about. Yeah, but it's, it'll blow your mind when it does come out. Well, we're, we're uh, Keone Young, everybody. Stay tuned. Yeah. Stay well, tuned. Uh, but also, you know, survival is really important right. in the industry to keep you going. You've got to find ways to survive. So voice is one of the ways. Uh, on camera TV uh, you know all my life there's always some parts where like you get rejected sure and if they re- it's like a woman they reject you okay you gotta go find somebody else right. who love right. you and right. take care of you right. you know you don't want me okay fine right. some people can't get over that sure oh, I know. <laughs> some people go like you don't want me I dare you and right. they keep fighting for that say no right. it's like Okay, movies don't want me. Okay, I'll do TV. TV don't want me. I'll do commercials. Commercials don't want me. I'll do radio. Radio don't want me. I'll go do voices. Right. Voices don't want me. I'll go dub some foreign movies. <laughs> right. You know, so right. you gotta be capable, but you have to have the skills at the right. same time for oh, it. Yeah, yeah. You can't just you you know you gotta be you know you gotta be able to work in every field, right. and which which I've been able to do luckily. Right. You know, so uh, luckily I'll say that because I just worked. And just tried, you know? And now I'm doing cons. So it's like, you don't want me for TV? Okay, fine. I'll go do a Comic-Con. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. So uh, we keep struggling and we keep trying to become better. And and keep trying to put humanity in our work. Right. So we can get the most people to accept us as possible. Right. Mm. Right. It's been an honor. Really? It's been an honor. Yes, it really has, Mr. Young. I mean, it really has. It was awesome. I mean, you yeah. really, really like broke it down in terms of what is needed to be in the business. Yeah. No, well, then more than I that. Really like your, I like your perspective. Yeah. The soul of it all. Yeah. The soul of it all. Yeah, because and that, you know I've had a lot of great experience because of it. Right. I've done a movie in China. I've done movies in Thailand. Right. I've done movies in Japan. I went to Japan and I did a movie with this guy named Ren, Mikuni Rentaro, who's one of the most famous, next to Mifuni, is one of the most famous actors in Japan. And I went and did a movie with him, you know? Very cool. I mean, I, I've had some great experiences, you know? And I remember, like, in Hawaii, people laughed at me when I was a kid and said, I'm going to L.A. to become an actor. Right. They said, we'll see you next year when you come back and drive that truck. Right, right. <laughs> And when I went back to Hawaii and did movies, you know? Yeah, right. What better way to come home? My my mom, who, like, just hated me becoming an actor, was like... When I went back, uh, I played... uh, you know the movie Challenger was about uh, Krista McCullough and the yes, space shuttle. Right, I played yeah. Ellison Onizuka, the the astronaut. Oh, okay, right. sure. Yeah, I played sure. Ellison Onizuka, the, right. the Japanese American astronaut, which I was so happy to perform. So when I went back to Hawaii, my mom was like, 
you know where he gets his talent from, right? <laughs> you know. But when I wanted to become an actor, she was like, nothing to do with you. <laughs> nothing right. to do with me. Right. You know what? I also think that that is a typical reaction, especially, you know, being a person of color. Yeah. Because I got the same flack from my family. Yeah. Like, what do you want to work in television for? Right. You know how hard is it going to be? You just yeah. need to go get a civil servant job. Right, right. And, that, that was uh, it. Right. And call Put your 25 years in and get your pension. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, and and right. then when I made it into the industry, you know, it was a whole different conversation. Oh, my son. <laughs> right. You, you see, my mom was like, wait, you know where he got his talent from, right? <laughs> I was like, Ma, Ma, please. <laughs> yeah, too much. Yeah. Too much. So, oh, I mean, great. I've lived a great life, you know. I've, I've lived a great life. I've been, re- I keep telling people, don't worry about it. I've been rejected by the best. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. I've been rejected by the best. You don't hurt me none. Right. Exactly. You know, because you're, you're still here and you're still doing it and you're still successful in spite of. Right. I did. I did Men in Black Three with Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones. Right. And uh, I had a scene with Tommy, and Tommy's supposed to hit me with this uh, with this uh, statue, rubber statue, and he hit me really hard. And afterwards, he came up to me. He said. He only asked, he says, um, buddy, I hit you hard, didn't I? I said, Tommy, I've been hit by the best. <laughs> you ain't shit. <laughs> and he just looked at me and he said, okay. I said, baby, I've been hit by Al Pacino. <laughs> and you ain't shit. You ain't Al Pacino. And you ain't Al Pacino. <laughs> so, I mean, I've lived a great life, you know what I mean? Right. And that's like I say, I've been hit by the best. You're hit by the best. I've been rejected by the best. Right. And I'm still here. You're still here. Yeah. Hello. Have you ever wondered how much Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster sold Superman's rights to DC for? Or which uh, popular football star was Sam Wilson the Falcon's physical appearance based on? You can find all that and more at the History of Comic Books podcast, a podcast dedicated to the creators, events, history, and the companies that made the great comic book medium. Hosted and created by your friendly neighborhood, J.T. Wheatley. Please give it a listen at iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, and all our podcasting platforms. Thank you, and go ahead and enjoy yourself a good comic book. One of the things I have to say about both actors, Dan Gilvezan and Keone Young, is that one of the reasons I think that they are also pretty successful in their careers is because they both really have a great sense of humor. You know, these guys kept Dan and I laughing Mm -hmm. the whole time in between the stories and in, in between just finding out about them and their careers. Uh, yeah, these were some really funny guys. I mean, we had some big laughs at the convention. They're hilarious. They were hilarious. They could add stand-up comedian to their repertoire. For sure. And what I also appreciated, you know, was like at the end of the day, really, and Dan and I, we try to get to people early. And these guys, you know, Dan and Keone, they were both very patient with us and took their time to tell us their story and I'm just really happy that we were able to talk to them and and share their professional stories of being actors and hopefully when people listen they'll be inspired. Mm, how could you not? How could you not? Dan Gilvezan and Keone Young, 
And I can't thank Toy Federation enough for hosting Retro Toy Con here in Greenville, South Carolina, and for facilitating, creating an atmosphere that allows for encourages a a proper sit down with a new friend these these the, the voice talents that they're able to partner with it's a very healthy convention and you get a hotel room it's two days embassy suites i mean i'm not anybody's payroll so so you know that i love it <laughs> sure you're not on anybody's payroll dan <laughs> ah, trying to be trying to be Embassy Suites looking at you. (laughs) The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast is a co-production of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives studios and the Weirdos Workshop. To get a personalized signed copy of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives book, go to thebestsaturdaysofourlives.com. This is Mark McRae signing off. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping at the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. <laughs>